You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Your discretion is advised. Rock, rock, rock and Nicole. Yeah. Rock, rock, rock and Nicole. Rock, rock, rock and Nicole. Oh, once she grabs, she won't let go. Rock, rock, rock and Nicole. Rock, rock. None of that soft stuff. None of that heavy metal stuff. Just a little bit of jazz. All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. It is Wednesday, April 19th, 2023. And I'm actually not here live today, but this is a new show that I'm putting together for you specifically for today. Here's the deal. The Indigo Girls are in town and I'm going to see them tonight at the Broward Center, hoping to tape an interview with them, but uh, still not sure if that's happening tonight or not. But that's besides the point. Tomorrow is 420. 420 came into the popular lexicon as sort of the pot holiday some years ago with a number of different stories about where the 420 came from. It doesn't really matter at this point because 420 is, I think, now known, recognized globally as the universal we're okay with weed sign. So consider this the 420 Eve show. And for good reason today, I'm going to share with you some programming dealing with a friend of mine, I first met Robert Platchorn back in 2009. He was fresh out of prison, where he spent over 29 years as the longest-serving nonviolent drug offender in U.S. history. He'll get into the whole story and explain it. We are going to start today going back to my show on Air America Radio. The date was August 25th, 2009. I met Robert when he commented on an interview that I had posted on Facebook with a guy from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition and told me the basics of his story. They had just gotten out of federal prison where he served over 29 years for smuggling pot. That was the beginning of a of a long friendship. Well, Robert Platchorn passed away just a couple of weeks ago. Looking at one of the obituaries right now, it says... He spent the last week in hospice care after a brief hospitalization from an unknown ailment. I didn't even know he was sick. So his death came as a real surprise to me. So Robert Platchorn got out of prison and immediately set to work to legitimize marijuana. And he founded a group called the Silver Tour, which existed to educate senior citizens about the benefits of medical marijuana. And after I met Robert for the first time, he he came on my show a number of times over the years. He put together what was basically an infomercial, ran on TV, called Should Grandma Smoke Pot? And he asked me if I would narrate it, which I did. Not only that, throughout this program, our interview segments interspersed. I was guest hosting uh, the Randy Rhodes show from her studio in West Palm Beach. Well, when she was at the WJNO studios and we had a camera crew in there. So parts of our interview are interspersed throughout the program. So today on today's show, what you'll hear 
is that first interview when I first met Robert Platshorn from August of 2009. And then from a year or two later, you will see the completed final program, Should Grandma Smoke Pot? So happy 420 Eve. And now let's get on with the show. Last week, hopefully you were listening, and you heard when I interviewed Jack Cole, the executive director of LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Yeah, I I mean, I think this war on drugs is one of the most ridiculous wastes of money and manpower and and law enforcement resources, and this is one of my um, pet topics. So I interviewed Jack Cole. And the following day, there was a comment on my Facebook page that said, Excellent interview. It's amazing that LEAP hasn't garnered more authority and attention for their point of view. I'm a fan of LEAP despite having spent 29 years in federal prison for a nonviolent marijuana offense. And I thought, ooh, that's that's an interesting comment. I was intrigued, so I contacted Robert Platshorn and learned of his history as America's longest-serving nonviolent prisoner of the war on weed. He was just released in April of last year, and he's, uh, I guess, he had a lot of time to work on a book. His account of everything that happened is coming out in the book entitled Black Tuna Diaries. That's blacktunadiaries.com. And uh, Robert Platshorn joins us live on the phone. Hi, Robert. Hi. Thanks so much for for being with us tonight. Now, and thank you for uh, posting on my Facebook page. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. The timing couldn't have been better. Today's the first day that the book went up for sale on the website. Oh, terrific! And I've I've had a great day watching the orders come in and anticipating our interview tonight. Oh, wonderful! Well, look at that. Sometimes just things just happen the way they're supposed to, right? And sometimes they don't as evidenced by the 29 years you spent in uh, in federal prison, huh? Yeah, something I never dreamed of. I bet. Well, I guess uh, we should we should start at the beginning. Back in the 70s, and I know you live here in South Florida, um, as do I, and I remember I was a kid here. I grew up in the 70s. I graduated from Hollywood Hills High School in 1977. And, uh, you know, during those high school years, Pot was everywhere down here in South Florida, and we had our choice of the different, um, you know, varieties. I guess today it's all different because they they have names. But back then, it was the you know Colombian Gold or the Panama Red and the Jamaican Ragweed, the Mexican stuff that nobody wanted to go near. Um, But I knew it because I was a, a consumer of it in high school. But you were actually one of the people bringing it in. Yeah. I moved back to Miami in the mid-70s. I'm originally from Philadelphia, from South Street in Philadelphia, South Philly. And uh, I had a successful business there and decided that I wanted to go back to law school at U of M. Moved down here and uh, in very short order uh, got caught up in the pot business. Uh I owned an auto auction in Miami on mm-hmm. 36th Street. And some friends from the pitch business, I spent years as a pitchman on TV and at the fairs and shows, and some friends from the pitch business were transporting pot uh, for a smuggler in Miami and offered it to me. And I sold a little, and then a year later, I ended up being a smuggler here in Miami, bringing it in from Columbia. Uh, and for about two and a half years, we brought it in by plane and by boat. And in those days, almost 26 states had to criminalize pot to one degree or another. The mid-70s were very liberal. And we thought, and so did the growers in Colombia, that by the end of the 70s it would be legal and we would only have a year or two to make some good money and then maybe get into the legal side of it. Under President Carter, that all turned around and went the other way. Half the states that had decriminalized it changed their laws. 
and the federal laws in the states just became draconian. And we were the first really giant prosecution. They blew it out of proportion monstrously. It was black tuna gang this and black tuna gang now, that. Now, now, the, the, the book is yeah. called The Black Tuna Diaries. And so how did the, where did the name The Black Tuna Gang come from? The DEA and FBI has to hang names on everything. And we were the first big joint prosecution by DEA and FBI. They were trying to bring the two agencies together, and they ran an operation called Operation Bonco, which was to trace the millions and millions of dollars that were moving from South Florida to Colombia through the banks mainly in South Florida. And they weren't terribly successful. And they'd spent millions of dollars and needed something to make them look good. And they at one time said we had brought in three million pounds and another time one million pounds. And I could never figure out what it was we were supposed to have brought in. But in reality, it was a pretty small portion of that. What year was this that you were busted, and who was president at the time? Jimmy Carter. Uh-huh. His attorney general, Griffin Bell. Right. Actually uh, ran a national press conference with press conferences in the various cities, and they claimed it was the largest marijuana bust there had ever been, and it was just day after day of press releases. We were on trial in Miami for over six months, and there wasn't a day that, that there wasn't some kind of a headline. Wow. All right. Now, we're, we're speaking with Robert Platshorn. He spent yeah. 29 years incarcerated, uh, the, the America's longest incarcerated nonviolent prisoner uh, or, uh, you know, casualty of the war on pot. According to the DEA, they're, they're claiming that your group brought in anywhere from one to three million pounds of marijuana into the country and, and made over $300 million. Is that true? No, and they never found the scent of the money. The five yachts we were supposed to have, there was no trace of. Our fleet of airplanes seemed to have disappeared in thin air. Uh, I doubt there was ever a case as overblown as that. And let me say this, I'm not crazy. Back in the mid-70s, the most anyone was facing for bringing in marijuana, especially as a first offender, was about five years, and usually three of those would be suspended. You know, uh, the biggest shock in the world was to find myself in the supermax at Marion, the belly of the beast, where Gotti died. Uh, it was just total shock. I bet. Now, now here's the weird thing. I have a, a few months ago interviewed a guy named Bruce Perlowin. Are you familiar with Bruce? Yeah, I'm flying. Bruce has the first medical marijuana company. Uh, yes, he company. does. He's got yeah. a company called Medical Marijuana Inc. Where what they do is they have these little like sort of like um, ATM cards that that the, the medical marijuana dispensaries use to pay their taxes. So, but Bruce Perlowin was known as the King of Pot, and he also is from South Florida, but he flew out to the West Coast, and he even admits to smuggling, um, you know, more than 500,000 pounds of, of pot during his career. Now, he spent some time in jail, but nowhere near the 29 years that you spent. No, in fact, I'm flying out to uh, the West Coast, uh, Bruce wants me to come out there and be a spokesman and participate in this company. So I'm going out there to talk to him about it. Uh, oh, how interesting. Probably this weekend. Wow. Oh, well, I'll be in L.A. next week. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe we'll all get together and have a party or something. No, only kidding. That is really uh, unique. <laughs> but uh, Bruce, no, I don't know Bruce personally. I've uh -huh. spoken to him a few times. But he told me that when he was a kid in Miami, the pot he used to sell, small amounts of pot, when he was in high school, uh, was stuff, or he believed it was what we were bringing in. Oh, what how interesting. What to be known as the black tunas. And by the way, 
even that's a misnomer. The DEA got a hold of the picture uh, of my fishing team, which was really what they called the black tuna gang. We were the fishing fools. And we had caught two giant tunas off Bimini one day, giant bluefin tunas. But in the picture, they looked black, and somehow or other, uh, they hung the name Black Tuna Gang on us. And the first time I actually saw it was when I went into DEA headquarters uh, to get discovery after we were indicted. And we went there with our lawyers, and they had a sign on a door on the evidence room that said Black Tuna War Room. <gasps> I didn't know we were in a war. I didn't even know we were black tunas. Oh, how interesting. So but no, but you're, no, you're, you're not saying that you didn't smuggle a lot of pot. You did, but you're no. also but you are saying that they blew this case way out of proportion. Um yeah. right? And and uh and so you have detailed this all in the book Black Tuna Diaries uh Black Tuna Diaries. The website is blacktunadiaries.com and it's through there that people can buy the book. It's available today. Yeah. Now, so I describe every ounce we brought in from the very first smuggle and when I went to Colombia to make the contact and, and find a connection there. And the people I knew there, um, most of them from prominent families uh, who helped me get started in the business and, and my adventures and misadventures and Captured by the Colombian army, they held me for ransom. And I've got some good stories in there. I bet. Down no. under. And, and the thin things that went wrong when, when the ships came in and, and when the planes came in. But the total was well under what Bruce and his company did. Right. And again, I think Bruce Perlowin spent about nine years in jail. To your 29 years, and and yeah. but you're saying maybe it was because they wanted to, uh, they wanted headlines, they wanted to make a big splash, and and this war on drugs was just picking up uh, a lot of steam, right? Yeah, it did under Carter. I am uh, speaking with Robert Platshorn, who left a comment on my Facebook page last week after my interview with Jack Cole of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, and sort of in an offhanded way mentioned that he had spent 29 years in federal prison for a nonviolent marijuana offense. Of course, that piqued my interest, so I emailed him back and asked him a little bit about his history, and he he uh, directed me to his website blacktunadiaries.com Black Tuna Diaries is the name of his book that's out today and available through the website and um, I, I learned a lot about Robert Platchorn and uh, well and I found he also directed me to a piece that he participated in for the New York Times Freakonomics column uh, in which they asked five different people what would happen if marijuana were decriminalized and I, I just want to read the beginning of Robert's piece He writes, on May 2nd, 1979, a New York Times headline read, $300 million drug ring reported cracked in Florida. The ring, in quotation marks, consisted of my two partners and myself. We hadn't made 10% of that, but the government had reasons for turning a couple of small fish into, quote, the black tuna gang. Those were the early days of the DEA, and they needed to justify their mission and their budget. So for 29 years, I lived in 11 prisons, costing you millions as America's longest-serving nonviolent prisoner of the war on weed. When the feds kicked in my door, I'd been retired from smuggling for two years. And then he goes on to say, you know, he was a productive member of society, employing, oh, close to 100 people, good jobs and serious tax dollars, all gone in an instant, not to mention my freedom, my wife and children and the life savings of my parents who paid for years of fruitless appeals. Robert, this is a brilliant piece, and I linked to it from my uh, my blog at RadioOrNot.com. Um, but, but here we are 30 years later, and uh, not much has changed. No, but I think there's a wave now. There's a movement now. 14 states now have medical marijuana. There's not as much emphasis on arrest and incarcerating people, although they still arrest 800,000 people a year, and I think close to 200,000 of those end up doing jail time. 
Right, and on, and, and, and we're it's seeing a tremendous waste uh, of resources. Yes, it is, and, and that's that's why I interview the people from Leap fairly often. Now, I I called Jack Cole at Leap the day after the news broke about Mexico decriminalizing all drugs. Now, and I don't even know if you know about this story. Thanks to Elaine in uh, Pennsylvania who just sent me a story, Argentina. Today, the Supreme Court today ruled it is unconstitutional to punish an adult for private use of marijuana as long as it doesn't harm anyone else. It's a unanimous ruling by the Argentine Supreme Court. It makes Argentina the second Latin American country in the past four days to allow personal use of a formerly illegal drug. So yeah, it they seems like private use. Yes. Uh, the Argentine Supreme Court. And I thought the case had to do virtually with all drugs in the same way Mexico has treated it, although what's come out since has been restricted to marijuana. But I don't oh, know really? That, but I understand the case had to do with all drugs. Well, no, this said this case in question involved five young men who were arrested for having a few marijuana cigarettes in their pockets. Supreme Court Justice Carlos Fate, who at one time supported laws that make personal use of marijuana illegal, told the state-run news agency that reality changed his mind. And so this doesn't say anything. This story, it's from CNN. It just talks about marijuana. But in Brazil, earlier this year, a Brazilian appeals court ruled that possession of drugs for personal use is not illegal. So it, it looks like a growing trend. Uh, you know, unfortunately, here in the U.S., we're sometimes very um, just we're prudes about so many things. The politicians are afraid to go against what they think they're uh... Bible Belt constituents would just go up in arms about. But we're surrounded now. I mean, Canada decriminalized a couple of years ago, despite Bush sending Cheney and everybody else up there to threaten them. Uh, they went their own way. And now Vancouver, B.C. is, is the Amsterdam of North America. Hmm. Uh, and it seems to be happening here. Barney Frank has a bill in Congress uh, to take marijuana off Schedule 1, which is the only way that they can enforce the laws because the laws were never actually passed. They just made a Schedule 1 drug, i.e. no medical value. And, of course, that that's not true. It's one of the oldest drugs in the pharmacopoeia, and they're finding more and more uses for it today, including fantastic results. Uh, that they're getting with cancer patients in, in countries all over the world. That's right. Uh, it, now, it's now, just amazing that we've dragged our feet so long, and there's still plenty of fight left. Here in Florida, I've been working for Puffum, People United for Medical Marijuana, to get it on the uh, ballot for next year to change the Florida Constitution so that oh. we can get medical marijuana. Well, you'll have, you'll have to send me that information because I live in Florida, too, and this is the first I've heard of that. But there are so many groups working for, um, you know, towards that end. Uh, and so, it's you know, this is an interesting thing to me. Here you spent 29 years locked up that's supposed to be, you know, a, a deterrent, Right. But but you came out even more committed to um, the, the notion that that marijuana should be legal. Yeah, but I'm also committed to staying on the legal side. That's right. Well, of course. I mean, I can't imagine uh, you wanting to take any chances of going back into jail. So the piece I read in High Times from 2005 talks about your son. In addition to somehow the DEA building a case against you and being able to convict you at two years after you were already out of the business, let's let's just go to that for a minute. How were they able to do that? Informers, that's how they virtually make all of their cases. The man who I originally uh, got a few small shipments from, someone I knew from the pitch business, he went his own way and eventually was caught. And mentioned my name and my partner's name. Oh, and, uh, then someone else uh, who we had been involved with, a customer, did the same thing. And after a while, the case that they presented was more hearsay than anything else. You know, people think you can't use hearsay in court in this country, but of course that's not true. 
Anytime they charge someone with conspiracy, it becomes an exception to the hearsay rule. It was built all on that type of evidence, and they locked you up for, for 29 years, which just yeah, blows my mind. about 90% and, of it was hearsay evidence. And the funny thing is, not so funny at the time, but maybe in retrospect, that one load we got blamed for that was brought in to San Marino on the Venetian Causeway in Miami to a house there, mm -hmm. they actually caught all the people involved. They were prosecuted by the state. Somehow or other, the state lost the case. And a year later, we were indicted for that same smuggle, although they had actually had the people who really did it. And we were convicted the same, Marino. Wow. I think yeah. it was uh, 30,000 pounds that was actually found in the house. Nothing we had done was ever caught or found, except the yacht that went aground in the Bahamas, the yacht presidential. When they came to arrest you, they came into your house with guns drawn and the whole nine yards. And how old was your son at the time? Four years old. Oh, Years man. of living the Jesus out of him. I'm sure. And, and they arrested both you and, and wife. your wife. So what happened to your son during those years when you were both in prison? A good friend took care of him. Oh. And although my wife had nothing to do with the business, they tried to use her as a wedge against me. And there was nothing really I could tell them that would help her. Unfortunately, she did. And when she came out, we stayed close. And I was very fortunate to stay close to my son. We spoke frequently. And although he had to grow up without me, we were always very close. We spoke every week. And he did everything he could to help me. And I was very fortunate. When I came out, although my wife and I had been divorced, she had a home for me, some place for me to go. And most people who have been in prison come out to no place and nobody. Right. We've since remarried. You've since remarried to each other? Yeah. Oh, that's and wonderful. I talk to my son every day. I've and, got two and, beautiful granddaughters. Oh, that's and I'm great. I'm a really lucky guy. I well, don't look back. You know, okay. prison's a very dangerous place. It's an easy place to die at any moment. Not only from the violence, but from the environment itself and the lack of medical attention. It's a scary place. And I was in everything from the Supermax down to the place they call Club Fed that no longer exists, Eglin Air Force Base. If you want, I'll tell you a very brief story about how easy it is to die in prison. Sure. A young dentist from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, was doing a year for tax evasion, and it was one of those cases where it would normally just be a slap on the wrist and a fine, but they wanted to make an example of him. And after about seven months, when he was getting ready to go out, after the good time he had accumulated, he was the most popular guy there. He'd help everybody with their health problems. He ran an exercise class in the yard, was always there for anybody who needed advice. And uh, one night, I'm in the cell next to his, and I hear him hollering for a guard. And finally, the guard comes over. He says, look, I'm having a heart attack. He said, I need my medication. If not, I won't be here in the morning. And the guard ran and called the uh, PA and asked him to bring over the dentist's medication. The PA told him that it was probably indigestion. Take two aspirins and go to sick call in the morning. Oh, God. The guard comes back and tells him. He says, look, I won't be here in the morning. I'm a doctor. I know what's wrong with me. I must have my medication. The guard went back a second time. The PA refused to come. The man laid down on the floor, wrote out his will, took off his wedding ring, gave it to his roommate to give to his wife, wrote a letter to his wife, and died. Oh, my God. Nothing anybody could do. You know, everybody knows about the violence in prison and how easy it is to insult someone or disrespect someone. You don't realize you're doing it, and uh, an hour or two later, four of his friends grab you, and, and they carve you up. But people don't realize how dangerous that environment is.
how easy it is to die of natural causes or diseases that are untreated. I had a skin cancer that uh, started out the size of a pimple. It was two years later they cut it out. It was the size of a quarter. Unbelievable. And you, you, you have no control over your life, and I see how that can happen. I hate that you had to spend 29 years of your life locked away. There were lighter moments. Yeah, I'm sure. Now, you wrote the book during your incarceration, or is that since you came out? No, I wrote it during the last year so that I could summarize. And I spent this past year polishing it up because I had to write it on a prison typewriter, not even spell correct, and I can't spell to save my life. (laughs) I only had access to the typewriter a couple of hours a day at best, maybe four days a week. So I I worked hard for a year and got it done. And then when I got out, of course, I had to teach myself how to use a computer, which is the most wonderful thing on earth. I'm addicted to it now. Uh And then polish it up. And finally, I had it ready two weeks ago, and it went to printers. Wow. Now, did you self-publish it? Are you doing this yourself? This edition is. This is a limited edition, a pre-publication edition of 2,500 books. Each one will be signed and numbered. Uh I brought it out now because High Times has a feature story on me and an excerpt from the book in their 35th anniversary edition, which is, I think, their November edition that comes out in October. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted a small edition of the book to the readers of High Times and then decided that uh, I'd open it up to my Facebook friends and gotcha. and the media. I've never offered it to a publisher. I've had a couple of inquiries, but I thought it'd be nice to bring this out first. Gotcha. Well, it sounds like you could have a, a movie deal in the making as well. Robert Platchorn, it was a pleasure speaking with you. I really appreciate you coming on the air and telling your story. Uh, again, you can find more about Robert and the book at blacktunadiaries.com. And although that interview was from August of 2009, all of those links still work. The silvertour.org is still live, as is blacktunadiaries.com. Unfortunately, Robert Platchorn isn't, but his work will live on. And for that, I'm grateful. And that includes this infomercial that he produced. I narrated it and an interview that we did together uh, one day when I filled in was guest hosting the Randy Road show. Um, they brought uh, a camera crew. So they they included a lot of segments from that interview in this program. Now, if you're watching, you'll see it on my YouTube channel. It's at Nicole Sandler. Or you can go to my website, NicoleSandler.com, and where I post today's show, I will also include the video version of Should Grandma Smoke Pot? So watch to your heart's content, share it. It's all still relevant and meaningful. But now, as they say, we go to the videotape. Here's a question for you. Should Grandma Smoke Pot? I was just superficially aware of it. I had no knowledge at all of it, I would say. I'm interested in uh, medical marijuana. There's sort of a sea change going on in this nation, uh, and, and it has to do with marijuana. You know, at old age, they say that the time you're 75, you have at least four chronic diseases to deal with. My son's taken 25,000 pills and he's five years old. Well, things have changed since I started using medical cannabis. I discovered quite by accident that cannabis or marijuana worked better than the drugs and narcotics I was getting. It's a whole new world. It gave me hope. I'm Robert Platchorn, author of Black Tuna Diaries and the man who spent 30 years in prison for marijuana, more than anyone in America. Many of you are familiar with my story from the movie Square Grouper, which was on Showtime. The things you're about to see will certainly surprise you and most likely shock many of you. For the past 70 years, you've been bombarded with lies, carefully crafted propaganda. And more vicious, more deadly is the menace of marijuana. In order to sustain a multi-billion dollar drug war against the most valuable plant on the planet, a war that helped no one 
but has destroyed millions of American lives. Our government has created the perfect system for themselves. They create a cycle where they made this illegal. They then fund it with the privatization of prisons. The privatization of prisons and mandatory minimums for sentences came out about hand in hand. That's another billion dollar industry. So the law enforcement have an incentive to keep these things illegal. The majority of arrests in this country for drugs are from marijuana, simple possession of marijuana. There's an arrest approximately every 37 seconds in this country for cannabis. Every 37 seconds. My sentence was 64 years. There's no way to describe that. There's no way to, to explain what that does to you. We're more apt in this country to cut our teachers and our educational system than our law enforcement system for something that has been proven to not harm a single soul. President Jimmy Carter had made inferences that he wouldn't be opposed to legalizing it. At a House hearing today, the Carter administration favored easing the penalties they faced for that use. We have yet to find a serious medical consequence related to marijuana Just smoking. one more question. Somewhat to my surprise, we have not found serious health consequences in approximately $20 million of research in the last five years. But the thing that we do know, though, is that we will be saving the lives and careers of a lot of young people that would otherwise be destroyed by maintaining criminal penalties and putting people in jail for possession. People who use marijuana are not criminals. The real criminals are people who are opposing legislative and social change. The people you need to talk to about me medical marijuana is not the people who are already uh, predisposed to, to smoke it, but to talk to the senior citizens and you launched the Silver Tour. The Silver Tour isn't a lecture or a panel or a class. It's a show. And we go in and first they get to meet and hear a couple of doctors. Used in respectable moderation, marijuana is absolutely not addictive. No more addictive than ice cream. actually treat with marijuana mm -hmm. and have done research for 10 or 12 years. Then they get to meet patients, people like Irv Rosenfeld. It's worked for me. It saved my life. Who's gotten medical marijuana from the federal government. I get it shipped to me once, a, once every 25 days. The whole time I was in prison, wow. the federal government sent him 300 joints a month. <laughs> to treat his tumors and still maintain, of course, it has no medical value. It's been called by many names, hemp, ganja, pot, weed, marijuana. But they all have the same uses. Most importantly, medicine. Cannabis has been a medicine now for about 3,000 years. Uh, in the United States, it only hasn't been a medicine for the past 70 years. Released in 1937 as Tell Your Children, this film implored parents to warn their children against the devil weed. It was commissioned by the newly appointed head of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, Harry Anslinger, an avowed racist. Physicians in the United States knew the medicine as cannabis, and by using marijuana, he sort of did an end run around the medical community. released as Reefer Madness, the film depicted smokers committing absurd acts of violence. You want to kill me? Take it easy, kid. Fired after 62 years, Anslinger retired in shame to well-deserved obscurity. You government men have got to find some way to put an end to it. But do you realize that marijuana is not like other forms of dope? You see, it grows wild in almost every state in the Union. Marijuana is the oldest medicine known to man. It was found in ancient Egypt. It's been found in Jerusalem. It's mentioned in the Bible. And you're about to learn the history of this amazing plant. Cannabis has existed as medicine for centuries. Long ago, when these ancient Grecian temples were new, hemp was already old in the service of mankind. For thousands of years even then, this plant had been grown for cordage and coarse cloth in China and elsewhere in the East. Betsy Ross made the first flag from hemp. Our Declaration of Independence was written on hemp. 
Until the Anslinger onslaught that outlawed hemp in 1937, American farmers grew and paid tax on it. For American doctors, it was the first choice to treat over 100 ailments. It's been a medicine a whole lot longer than it hasn't been. To halt the increasing use of hemp to make paper and protect his huge pulp forest holdings, William Randolph Hearst used his powerful newspaper empire to aid Anslinger in outlawing the devil weed. By the start of World War II, our government desperately needed hemp for the war effort. When the woody core breaks away readily, like this, the hemp is about ready to take up and bind into bundles. Urging our farmers to grow once again. Just as in the days when old Ironside sailed the seas victorious, with her hempen shrouds and hempen sails. Hemp for victory. The government later denied that this film had ever been made. Public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. President Nixon declared the war on drugs. Despite his own commission's recommendation that marijuana was harmless, Nixon ignored their findings. They started to tell us, well, we can't legalize marijuana because it destroys your brain cells. And of course, then we found out it actually stimulates the growth of brain cells. And people like Carl Sagan and Margaret Mead and lots of others had been proponents of marijuana, and it wasn't hard to figure out that it didn't make people stupid. A recent Gallup survey showed that more than half those polled favor removing criminal penalties for possessing small amounts of marijuana. A number of states is considering doing that, and 10 of them already have. Oregon was the first. In the United States, it's illegal for a person to use it. Why aren't doctors allowed to study it? It's been almost 45 years since I did the first double-blind human experiments with marijuana. And when that work was published in 1968, I predicted that marijuana would be legalized within five years. And that was before we knew anything about the endocannabinoid system or the vast medical potential of marijuana. The traditional uses were known about an anti-nausea effect and uh, um, possibly an effect with asthma, glaucoma, uh, muscle spasticity, but really nothing about these tremendous potentials well, with cancer and uh, very serious diseases. Very safe and effective medicine that's able to uniquely tap into our endocannabinoid system, which interestingly and ironically regulates everything in our body. Physiologically, our bodies and our cannabinoid receptors are set up to help us uh, manage uh, cancer, perhaps itself, but certainly the symptoms associated with cancer. So if the endocannabinoids work, then I would suggest that probably the plant cannabinoids may as well. The incidence of Alzheimer's in individuals who were smoking marijuana in the 1960s are not getting Alzheimer's today at the rate that they should be. They're sort of standing out. So if you were lucky enough to either be uh, arthritic uh, or someone who smoked marijuana and you were bathing your brain in anti-inflammatories, you were in groups of, uh, lucky groups of people who did not get Alzheimer's disease. There's certainly some evidence that it's helping some people treat their psychoses. Certainly epilepsy, certainly anxiety, certainly uh, PTSD. Now another disease, which is an autoimmune disease, is diabetes type 1. It most definitely suppresses the disease. The pharmaceutical industry is ripping us off, and I, and I think that's a, a disgusting thing to do to the population, and, and I have no problem with signing off on uh, legalizing marijuana. And I think it should be the option for a doctor to give somebody something that can benefit them and not tear apart their bodies. Stay with me, because in the next segment, what you're going to learn could change your entire attitude about marijuana. Mm, I don't believe in drugs, but then I've also never been someone who suffered from pain. Please sponsor more airings of this show by becoming a member of the Silver Tour. It only takes a handful of $50 memberships to air Grandma two more times, and that can pay for four more airings, and that could pay for eight more, and so on until Grandma reaches millions. With your support, we can air this show hundreds of times on regional and national television. I urge you, join at the highest level you can afford. Join for as little as $25 and receive this beautiful Silver Tour pin and my heartfelt thanks. Become a Silver Tour member for $50 and I'll send you the membership pin and a DVD of this show. 
If you can join at the $100 gold member level, I'll thank you with the pin, the DVD, and the signed copy of my memoir, Black Tuna Diaries. A $1,000 platinum membership can sponsor as many as 10 regional airings of Grandma. Your thanks is all of the above gifts, plus a signed copy of the hit movie, Square Grouper That Tells My Story, and something very, very special. One of Irv Rosenfeld's federal medical marijuana delivery cans. These cans have sold at auction for up to $5,000 and are a terrific collectible you can show to all of your friends. I urge you, go to thesilvertour.org and become a member right now or send a check or money order to the address on your screen. Together, we can end cannabis prohibition in less time than you can imagine. A recent study in the Journal of the American Medical Association concludes, Our findings suggest that occasional use of marijuana may not be associated with adverse consequences on pulmonary function. There's two plants that people like to smoke. The first, of course, is tobacco. It causes cancer, COPD, emphysema. The other is cannabis. It's the oldest medicine known to man. It's a lung expander. And today, it's used in the treatment of dozens of different conditions. Tobacco's legal. Marijuana's illegal. Does that make sense to you? In 1971, I discovered quite by accident that medical marijuana worked best for my bone disorder. I have bone tumors all throughout my body. I was born with it, diagnosed at age 10, and told I may not outlive my teenage years. Had many dangerous operations, and I was on all kinds of narcotics, from morphine to quaalude to Valium. And then quite by accident in college, I discovered the benefits of medical cannabis. That it worked better as a muscle relaxant, anti-inflammatory, and for my pain than any other medicine. But it was illegal. So I took on the federal government. In 1972, I started. In 1982, I won. It took me 10 years. But I became the second person in the United States that the federal government grows my marijuana and supplies me on a daily basis. They put 300 cigarettes to a cookie tin, they freeze dry it, and that's how I get it. I'm in good shape, okay, I'm severe bone disorder. I have over 200 bone tumors in my body. And if you look at me, I'm 59 years old, I don't look it. I don't take any prescription drugs, I haven't since 1990. All I take is medical cannabis. That, my friends, is a fountain of youth. Can you imagine your kids having seizures every single day? being in pain 12 to 14 hours a day, crying, screaming. My sons tried 12 different medications from around the world, two that weren't FDA approved, and they didn't work. They just caused more problems. My son's taken 25,000 pills and he's five years old. Well, things have changed since I started using medical cannabis. I got him down from 22 pills a day down to four right now. He's functioning better. I have documentation. I have video evidence of him changing as a human being. His eye contact's getting better. I get emails from his teachers telling me how good he's doing. When he looks in my eyes and I tell him, give me a kiss, he could give me a kiss now. Can you imagine your kid not giving you a kiss? One night at 3 a.m., I woke up and I didn't make it to the washroom. I'm lying in my own, pardon the expression, crap. <laughs> and I thought, I can't stand this. This isn't me. If I had a gun, it would have been over at that point. I saw this booklet that says multiple sclerosis, medical marijuana. Took a puff for the first time in my life. And from that time on, I have felt as if I had something to help me keep control of a body that can go out of control. It's a whole new world. It gave me hope. And that's really what it's put it amounts to me. I'm sure I'm not alone. About a year ago, while I was on a book tour, I was on the West Coast and met a boy by the name of Joey Perez, little 10-year-old boy. Joey is autistic, and as he got older, he got more violent. He was never able to communicate. He was 10 years old. He would beat his head against the wall. He had broken several bones, and he no longer had any desire to eat. And within about six weeks, he had lost half his body weight. He was down to about 47 pounds. His mom took him to every doctor that she could find. And they tried every treatment known. They told her there was nothing more they could do for Joey. And they told her to prepare herself because 
his organs were beginning to shut down and, and he wouldn't last much longer. She called Dr. Lester Grinspoon at Harvard and Lester told her, here's what I want you to do. Once every two days, give Joey a magic brownie. And she gave it to him. Now, I'm not a doctor, and you notice during this show, I've never actually talked medicine. But you don't have to be a doctor to appreciate what happens when you take pot. Well, the first thing that happens is you get the munchies. Joey got hungry, and he ate. He not only ate, he enjoyed eating. Within six weeks, he had regained most of his body weight. What's the second thing that happens for a marijuana user? It's the greatest violence inhibitor in the world. Joey became a cooled out kid. There was no more violence, no more beating his head against the wall. Joey, for the first time in his life, began to communicate and use words. And he started to play with other children. But you know what? If you live in a state that does not have medical marijuana, and Joey was your child, you'd have a terrible decision to make. Do you want to try it? Maybe save his life? And possibly go to jail? You know, if you get caught, they're going to take him away from you. And that's a terrible decision. If he's your child, your grandchild, your niece, your nephew, or your neighbor's child. And I certainly don't advocate anybody breaking the law. Help me change the law in my state, your state, in fact, in the United States. Go to our website up in the left-hand corner. Put in your zip code. You'll get the name, address, phone number, and if it's available, email of your senator, your representative, both federal and state. You'll find sample petitions, sample letters, but better than that, write your own letter and write it in your own handwriting because when they start getting those letters, they start paying attention. A lot of states right now have decriminalization or medical marijuana or even legalization on the ballot. And all you have to do is exercise your right to vote. I have an obligation to be much more supportive and I am willing to go talk to the people we vote for to express my opinion. I know that there's a subject whether or not to have marijuana legalized for especially for medical reasons and I have some really close friends and family who have had cancer and I know it's been really important to ease their pain and to help with them so I'm really a big supporter of it. I would look forward to trying to try it but I don't know where in heaven's name I would get a hold of any to try. From 1850 to 1942, marijuana was easily obtained at the pharmacy and listed in the United States Pharmacopoeia. Please sponsor more airings of this show by becoming a member of the Silver Tour. It only takes a handful of $50 memberships to air Grandma two more times, and that can pay for four more airings, and that could pay for eight more, and so on until Grandma reaches millions. With your support, we can air this show hundreds of times on regional and national television. I urge you, join at the highest level you can afford. Join for as little as $25 and receive this beautiful Silver Tour pin and my heartfelt thanks. Become a Silver Tour member for $50 and I'll send you the membership pin and a DVD of this show. If you can join at the $100 gold member level, I'll thank you with the pin the DVD, and a signed copy of my memoir, Black Tuna Diaries. A $1,000 platinum membership can sponsor as many as 10 regional airings of Grandma. Your thanks is all of the above gifts, plus a signed copy of the hit movie, Square Grouper, that tells my story, and something very, very special. One of Irv Rosenfeld's federal medical marijuana delivery cans. These cans have sold at auction for up to $5,000 and are a terrific collectible you can show to all of your friends. I urge you, go to thesilvertour.org and become a member right now or send a check or money order to the address on your screen. Together, we can end cannabis prohibition in less time than you can imagine. So you've been going around to different senior communities 
and talking directly to people, um, I, I would guess that many of them are aging beatniks or hippies and, and are familiar with pot. But are they familiar with the medical uh, purposes for it? No. Outside of the 18 now legal states in Washington, D.C., people know little or nothing about medical marijuana. They don't know that it was made illegal, not because it was bad, but to stop hemp. It's a plant. I think that's the one thing we want to say over and over. This is a plant. This is America, a free country. We are locking up people for growing a plant. A lot of other countries, uh, I think 30-some different countries in the world, grow industrial hemp. Uh, but we're the primary market for almost every country in the world. The United States, we're the market. And so what an opportunity we're giving away, we're throwing away, but not being a part of this industry. And industrial hemp is one more commodity that can help me make some money on my farm. Hemp has over 25,000 uses, including home insulation and superior strength car panels. Prohibition creates crime and violence in our society that need not exist except for the fact that we have chosen Get this, we've chosen a policy of prohibition rather than a policy of regulation control. And right now we're wasting all these resources and we're putting people whose only decision is to use an illegal drug, we're putting those people in jail today. And that's just insane. And cannabis is a natural plant in its natural form that grows from the ground, that has never caused anyone a harm. Yet that's the biggest reason why it's continued to be illegal. In Israel, Dr. Raphael McCoolum has devoted his life to unlocking the medical miracles just waiting to be discovered in the cannabis plant. THC is actually very valuable in a, a lot of diseases. It is used for in rheumatoid arthritis and many other inflammatory diseases. So uh, it can be used and it should be used. I'd like to try it. I would really like to. I have um, many medical problems. I don't like the fact that you have to smoke it. If I could take it in a pill or some other way, chocolate candy. Foods made with hemp and cannabis are in high demand everywhere they're legally available. Uh, if Americans ate more hemp, it would help correct the imbalance of essential fatty acids in their diet. I think we'd see a reduction of uh, inflammatory diseases. I think this would be a benefit at lowering heart attack risk, cancer risks. I think it can also uh, do a lot for mental emotional health because the omega-3s are really necessary for proper brain function. I saw my grandparents use it, I saw my great-grandparents use it, and it's amazing. My great-grandmother lived to be 110. She used to use the marijuana in her tea, in her food. I'll spoon out a little bit of the can of butter, about, about that much as a dose is worth for the night. CBDs seem to help my seizures. I'm not using it to, to get any psychological effects off of it. I'm just eating the butter raw with bread. I used to be on approximately 14 different prescriptions. I would still have up to 12 seizures a day. No more. I never want to see compromised the capacity of people to use herbal marijuana, whether it's because the drug that they've come up with is much more expensive, or it doesn't do as well, or whatever the reason, that people should always have herbal marijuana available to them without any constraints from the law. I started taking marijuana because I could not sleep, days without sleep. I use cannabis for uh, chronic back pain. You know, this is a needed medicine, and we didn't ask for these disorders. We didn't wake up one day and say, gosh, if I could just get AIDS, then I could use marijuana to take away the nausea from the AZT and the other drugs I have to take. And nobody asks for disorders, but they just happen. When they do, all patients really care about is getting the best medicine possible. A lot of research on the website at thesilvertour.org. I've known, obviously, about marijuana for years. I didn't know that it will, it will impede the growth of a tumor. I had no idea, because they don't tell you that. Alcohol and cigarettes are the biggest gateway drugs we have. In 2009, from chronic liver disease, 15,000 people died in the U.S. from alcohol, one year. Anyone even want to try to guess how many people die from cigarettes every year? It's one out of how many? One out of five deaths in this country is attributed to cigarettes. That's like 443,000 people a year, and not one single person has ever died from marijuana. I would take out half of the drugs in my prescription book 
if I could write for medical marijuana. People who are going through chemo and people who have all types of other problems where they get a tremendous amount of relief from marijuana and to deny those people freedom of pain, that's what's criminal. I'd rather see people in jail for misusing alcohol than marijuana. I believe it's much more dangerous. I hope you've enjoyed our show and learned something important because sooner or later, you're going to be asked to vote to end cannabis prohibition or to make medical marijuana available to the patients in your state. If you believe that you now have the information and the maturity to make an informed decision, you might want to make your opinion known to your state and federal representatives. According to New York Supreme Court Justice Gustin Reichbach, this is not a law and order issue. It is a medical and it's a human rights issue. If you lived in Belgium, England, Holland, Argentina, Israel, or a host of other countries, your doctor can legally prescribe and treat you with this natural, effective, and safe medication. In 17 of our states and in our nation's capital, a doctor can recommend medical marijuana. In fact, in a recent Rasmussen poll, 56% of Americans have declared in favor of legalizing marijuana. There is no need to break the law when you can change it. Visit thesilvertour.org. When they come out of the show, they, they invariably say, look, I've believed what I saw on TV all my life, what they told me in school, but now I think I'm old enough and smart enough to make up my own mind. What can I do? And so they've started calling their senators, calling their congressmen. The late, wonderful Robert Platshorn. He is so missed already. And that does it for today's show. I'm Nicole Sandler. Thanks for listening. I'll be back tomorrow. Same time, same place. Have a great night, everyone. Bye.